This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Douglas Impoga, and here's what's coming up. And projections also suggest that we should expect such you know, intense rainfalls and, and flash floods to be a thing. That's Professor Tafazwa Mabaudi, a climate change expert at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Diseases, who says the climate change is worsening the El Nino weather system and strengthening storms in southern Africa. Also, Sudan says it suspended its membership in the region of Bade, Igad. A massive explosion killed two people and injured 77 others in one of Nigeria's largest cities. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Rainstorms are battering southern Africa, causing death and widespread destruction, with experts and scientists say human-caused climate change is intensifying the annual Indian Ocean summer cyclone season. Darren Taylor reports. Mass evacuations are underway in South Africa and on the island of Mauritius as Cyclone Belal causes heavy flooding. Several people have drowned in South Africa's eastern KwaZulu-Natal province in recent days, with many people still missing. Mauritian authorities say a motorcyclist was killed on Monday as surges of water submerged the Mauritius capital, Port Louis. Mauritian journalist Ruben Pillay tells VOA much of the city's been destroyed, with roads, bridges and houses washed away. He says emergency services rescued many people from vehicles swept away by what he called raging rivers. The problem is the capital city is surrounded by a range of mountains. So all the rain that falls there flows down the mountainsides and gathers at one single point, the capital city. The rivers overflow their banks and this is something that the meteorological station had not anticipated to the point that the head of the meteorological station has stepped down now because they weren't able to predict that. Professor Tafadzwa Mabaudi is a climate change expert at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Diseases. He says changing weather patterns caused by global warming are responsible for the unprecedented floods across southern Africa. We've had a pattern of very intense rainfall, I would say from December, mid-December, with projections that we're going to be having more heavier rainfall. So naturally it means we already have a situation where the soil is saturated, river levels are high. So any significant downpour in that situation can result in immediate flooding. With climate change going on and the current El Nino, which has been intensified by climate change, there's generally a lot of energy in the system, which you know is conducive for storms to form and so forth. In the last three years, we have noted that the summer rains are becoming more and more intense, and projections also suggest that we should expect such you know, intense rainfalls and, and flash floods to be a thing. El Nino is a weather system that causes ocean water to warm so it stays closer to the surface. This releases more heat into the atmosphere, creating wetter and warmer air. Cyclones are common between January and March in southern Africa as oceans in the southern hemisphere reach their warmest temperatures. This, plus El Nino, says Mabaudi, makes the weather much more extreme because hotter water fuels tropical storms. 
In a 2022 study, the World Weather Attribution Group used observations and computer simulations to show that climate change is causing extreme weather across southern Africa. In 2019, Cyclone Idai killed more than 1,000 people in Mozambique, Malawi and Zimbabwe, causing a humanitarian crisis. The United Nations said it was one of the deadliest storms on record in the Southern Hemisphere. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The UN Children's Fund is worried about a cholera outbreak in Africa that has spread to at least 10 countries, with the situation in Zambia and Zimbabwe very serious. Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare, where some independent health experts are urging the government to declare the waterborne disease a national disaster so that international aid agencies like WHO, UNICEF and USAID can chip in. The regional health advisor for UNICEF in Eastern and Southern Africa says 10 countries on the continent have active cholera outbreaks with about 200,000 reported cases and more than 3,000 lives taken by the waterborne disease. Of the 10 countries, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Tanzania, Somalia, Zambia and Zimbabwe are in acute cholera crisis, Dr. Paul Nwakum says. The key drivers are long-term poor water sanitation and hygiene conditions, exacerbated by changing weather patterns, climate change leading to floods and droughts, end-of-year festivities, inadequate community sensitization, late care-seeking behavior for those that are affected. Children unfortunately carry the lion's share of the affected cases. For example, over 52% of the cases in Zambia are children less than 15 years old. The situation in Zambia and Zimbabwe is very serious. These two countries are the most affected in the region. In Zambia, 9 out of the 10 provinces are reporting cases. Another challenge is the high case fatality rate. 4% of the over 9,000 cases have died. This is extremely high because the acceptable threshold is below 1%. Since the beginning of 2024 alone, Zimbabwe has recorded over 17,000 cases with about 384 deaths. Case fatality rate also above 2%. And this continues to spread geographically. In Zimbabwe, shortages of purified water are forcing residents to depend on open sources. That along with uncollected refuse and running sewage are being blamed for the waterborne disease. Douglas Mombeshora, Zimbabwe's health minister, says the central government is doing all it can to contain the outbreak. He says they are starting in the country's capital, Harare. It is duty of government to intervene wherever they see things are not moving properly. If you move around the city of Harare, people are just dumping garbage in undesignated areas and this has not been collected. So government has mobilized resources so that we clean up Harare. And government is moving in to mobilize resources to procure water treatment chemicals. Supply of potable water has dropped from 350 megaliters to 200 megaliters per day. Itairu Sike, executive director of the Community Working Group on Health in Zimbabwe, has on social media 
called on the government to declare a national disaster so that international aid agencies like WHO, UNICEF and USAID can swiftly help to contain the cholera outbreak. All measures to end cholera are within the purview of the government by providing safe water, safe sanitation and also hygienic waste disposal. UNICEF fears that if the outbreaks are not brought under control, it will mean schools closing, as in the case in Zambia, and children losing out on learning. Columbus Mafungam, VOA News, Harare. Sudan's military-led foreign ministry has declared the country has suspended its membership in the region about the IGAD ahead of discussions on the nine-month Sudan conflict. This decision comes after IGAD extended an invitation to Rapid Support Forces Commander Mohamed Hamdan Daglo, also known as Hamiti, to join the meeting in Uganda alongside Sudan's Army Chief Abla Fata al-Burhani and regional leaders. Nabil Biagio gets an analysis of the move from Sudan expert Suleiman Baldo, director of the policy group Sudan Transparency and Policy Tracker. It is an indication of the confusion and lack of strategic direction in Sudan's current uh, uh, foreign policy. Because the, the letter to the IGAD suspending Sudan's membership in the organization came from the foreign ministry. While a statement issued a day earlier by the Sovereign Council headed by Burhan used a softer language that conveyed some leeway uh, for Burhan to meet with uh, Hemeti, uh, according to the invitation by IGAD. This tells me the direction of the political affairs of Sudan is coming from the foreign ministry. It is important to note that since the coup d'etat actually of 21st October 2021, there is no, you know, the de facto situation, there is no government in Sudan. And that since the war of April 15, there is total absence of state institutions, except for the foreign ministry which is seen by the Sudanese to represent the views, positions and policies of the Islamist movement uh, behind uh, driving you know, this war and using the army to achieve its objective of returning to power. Uh, and therefore, you know, the letter to the IGAD means that this uh, power behind the throne is not interested in a political negotiated solution, but want to fight to the very end to achieve its political end of returning to power. And in doing so, it is only isolating Sudan from the region and from all other possible and potential mediators, as has happened in the past also. Sudan has, just like you just mentioned, has isolated itself from the region, the mediation efforts in the region. Uh, what does that mean for peace efforts in general and, uh, and peace diplomacy to resolve uh, this crisis, this nine-month-long nine conflict? Well, Sudan has cornered itself now. Rather, the, the Islamists in the foreign ministry has, have cornered Sudan in a situation whereby they have already rejected the African Union as a mediator, have failed to cooperate with the Jeddah platform, with the U.S. and Kingdom of Saudi Arabia as you know, facilitators to the point of leading them to suspend, adjourn these talks indefinitely because of the failure of getting you know, a simple ceasefire from the two parties. And, and now the EGAD. They're shooting the access to the IGAD by this letter. 
And therefore, this reduces the chances of a negotiated settlement, simply. And it makes uh, Hemeti, Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, the leader of the Rapid Support Forces, look better in comparison because at least in rhetoric he's saying he's committed to peace, to a negotiated settlement, to a meeting with Burhan, with IGAD leaders. He's increasingly taking central stage while Burhan is increasingly isolating himself and appearing as, as the obstacle towards uh, some negotiations to achieve peace. Uh, wh- what do you think about that? Indeed, Bora Hemeti is making all the right moves at the diplomatic level, uh, engaging in, 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 in conversations with the UN Secretary General, his personal envoy to Sudan, to with the IGAS, uh, you know, several member states by traveling to these member states, meeting the presidents and head of government in Ethiopia. So he's, he's trying to gain international diplomatic uh, legitimacy. However, this international diplomatic legitimacy cannot compensate the fact that the rapid support forces have zero legitimacy in the eyes of the Sudanese people because of the conduct of their soldiers on the ground, which has been systematically abusive of the population wherever the rapid support forces have come to, you know, have uh, the upper hand militarily in any particular area, and they, they now occupy more than half of the Sudan. Both parties have issues of legitimacy. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Nigerian authorities say two people have died and 77 others were injured after a massive blast rocked more than a dozen buildings in one of the country's largest cities. Oyo State's governor says preliminary investigations show the blast that uh, the blast last night in Ibadan was caused by explosives stored for use in illegal mining operations. The Associated Press says illegal mining in Nigeria is common and has been a major safety concern for authorities. Security forces cordoned off the area. Medical personnel and ambulances are on standby as rescue efforts intensify. China's foreign minister Wang Yi discussed the conflict in Gaza with Egyptian president Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, with both sides agreeing a ceasefire should be achieved as soon as possible to prevent the conflict from further spilling over. In a news conference with his Egyptian counterpart, Sama Shokri, in Cairo, Wang said it's necessary to insist on the establishment of an independent, fully sovereign state of Palestine on the 1967 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital. VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi discussed the significance of these calls with Ambassador Ayman Zaldini, former director of the media department at Egyptian Foreign Ministry. It has been China's position long before the foreign minister's visit to Cairo to call for an immediate ceasefire. So it was reiterating, re-emphasizing their original position. And in fact, China is a permanent member of the Security Council. So their position advocating a ceasefire is quite significant. Of course, without United States consent and support, such a ceasefire becomes more difficult. But the more countries voice their desire to see a ceasefire, particularly countries with global leverage like China, 
that adds to the pressure on Israel and indeed on the United States to start working towards this objective. And as I do see from the American media, there is growing concern within the United States that this war is going for too long and maybe a discussion on the timing of ceasefire is becoming more pressing. So this position by China is important. But there is a couple of other elements too. The United States is aware of the importance of making sure that China's global power and alliances do not become a growing competition to the United States. And with China's position on the ceasefire, it be viewed more positively in the global south. And that is something that that worries the United States, and I'm sure that will factor in the U.S. decision-making on the matter. Another point also, Israel has been interested quite intensely in having stronger relations with China, and getting on the wrong side of China in such a matter is something that the Israelis will have to consider in their global strategy. Of course, it will not overwhelm their decision on a ceasefire, but it should also factor in. In a press conference with his Egyptian counterpart, Samah Shukri in Cairo, China's foreign minister said it it is necessary to insist on the establishment of an independent, fully sovereign state of Palestine on the 1967 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital. The Israeli right-wing coalition has been rejecting the two-state solution. What's the way out? I think this is one of the most difficult questions that are facing the world right now. Let me put my own 50 cents in that matter. I think with all what we've seen, particularly as you mentioned, the position of the Israeli right-wing government and indeed the Israeli public opinion in general, leaving the matter totally to the process of negotiations between the two sides have become quite similar to having two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for, for lunch. Israel has a, as a veto because if Israel doesn't agree to whatever arrangement the Palestinians accept, there would be no resolution. And if Israel, as the history has proven, is not really interested in a resolution that would entail withdrawing from the territories it has occupied, then we can have no resolution. So maybe it's time to move the whole question from negotiations between the parties to the international community to offer the sides a specific resolution. Here is the final settlement that should be accepted by both sides as a determination by the international community with legal power, not just a suggestion or an idea, but enforceable legal power or offer them two alternatives. I think the Palestinians would accept either having a one state with equal rights for all uh, its citizens or two states based on the 1967 borders and ask the parties to make a decision once and for all end this conflict. Because if no resolution is reached or if the matter is left to Israel that is obviously not interested in a resolution, we will see this conflict continue as an explosive problem that will have a major impact on the region, on the world, and Israel will pay a heavy price and an increasing price. And if the United States is really interested in Israel's well-being, they have to push Israel in the right direction. That was Ambassador Ayman Zaldini, former director of the media department at Egyptian Foreign Ministry, speaking with VOS analyst Mohamed El Shanawi. The Algerian government is urging members of the non-aligned movement to exert diplomatic pressure on the UN and member countries to intervene and bring an end to the conflict in Gaza. Algerian Foreign Affairs Minister Ahmed Ataf told delegates at the NMA meeting in Kampala that members should take firm action and push Israel to stop its attack on Gaza. Reporter Mugume Debs Rakarinji has more from the Ugandan capital Kampala. 
Aja Foreign Affairs Minister Ahmed Ataf told delegates at the Non-Aligned Movement Summit in Kampala that members should press the United Nations to bring an end to its siege of Gaza. Speaking through an interpreter, Ataf accuses Israel of committing war crimes against the people of Gaza. Palestine is going through a period which we could describe as very delicate, very fragile. The Palestinian issue requires greater support from the non-aligned movement. Given its importance at global level, given the weight of the issues that we are seeing at the moment, our movement must therefore contribute to promoting diplomatic pressure so as to put an end to the war machine of Israel in the Gaza Strip. In his address, Kenya Prime Minister and Foreign Affairs Minister Musalia Modavad blamed the United Nations for not living up its purpose of resolving such a conflict. The United Nations-based multilateral system is unable to deliver sustainable peace, stability, and development to all in the face of increased polarization. Consequently, the worsening effects of pervasive armed conflicts and other multiple multifaceted threats to international peace and security, including the climate crisis, are reverberating through declining social, economic, and humanitarian situations across the world. The Nandalad movement meeting began in the Ugandan capital Kampala on Monday, bringing delegates from over 120 countries. Uganda Foreign Affairs Junior Minister Okel Odiem says members will continue to discuss the conflict between Israel and Hamas militants in Gaza. It is the hottest debate uh, by the senior officials. Uh, that took place during the senior officials meeting. And if you follow the trend, ongoing trend of speeches by the ministers now, it is something which is uh, at uh, top of their uh, discussions. The conflict in Gaza began in October after Hamas militants attacked Israeli communities, killing about 1,200 people. The Gaza Health Ministry estimates 23,000 people have died in the Israeli military offensive in response. Oriem says other contentious matters such as the conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Somalia-Ethiopia dispute will be discussed at a different forum, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or IGAD. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. Opposition leaders in the Comoros today demanded this week's presidential election be declared void after President Azali Osmani was re-elected despite allegations of voter fraud. According to the French news agency AFP, the five opposition candidates who challenged Asmani said, incontestably, these ballots of Sunday, January 14, 2024, are invalid. We denounce them and demand their pure and simple annulment. A Kenyan court today gave prosecutors two weeks to conduct mental health assessments of a cult leader and suspect, suspected accomplices before charging them with murder over the death of more than 400 followers. Self-proclaimed pastor Paul Thenge Mackenzie is alleged to have incited followers to starve to death in order to meet Jesus in a case that shocked the world. Mackenzie was arrested in April after bodies were discovered in the Shakalala Forest near the Indian Ocean.
Autopsies revealed that the majority of the 429 victims had died of hunger. But others, including children, appeared to have been strangled, beaten, or suffocated. Mackenzie's pre-trial detention in the coastal town of Mombasa was extended on several occasions as the prosecution asked for more time to probe the case. But last week, a court warned the authorities that it would release the former tax driver unless charges were filed within 14 days. The Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions said the state had sufficient evidence to charge Mackenzie and 95 other suspects with murder, manslaughter and terrorism. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent, 24-7, visit our website at voafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, David Vande, and our engineer, Rob McLean, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.